I love one of the things that most humans, aromantics aside, spend a lot of time pursuing and something that a lot of us get a lot of enjoyment over. It's exciting and usually filled with a lot of cute moments, beauty, and if you're into the nastiness, probably some really good fucking. And usually, for most people, they want to be happy in their relationship, but keep it exciting by, you know, doing fun shit together. And a lot of writers really reflect reality on this. Nah, just fucking with you. Love is dead, and we killed it today on Why Are You Talking About This? Nerd. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Waitat Nerd. And, uh, holy shit, does it sound like intro me is going through it right now. It's alright, bud. You'll get your big titty goth girlfriend one day. That means as long as he doesn't find out he only exists in the intro. Anyways, I will be your biblically accurate cherub today as I guide you through the silly world of romantic and sexual tension and conflict on this surprisingly queer episode. And the part of that that was a joke is you if you think that I'm a guide through anything romantic. As always, it's amazing to hear you listening. And yes, I can hear you. You should probably stop jacking it while listening to my podcast. I'm tired of hearing that. But still, thank you so much for listening. And as the first episode, I remembered that it's Pride Month. Sorry about last time. Whoops. Happy Pride, everyone. Uh, it's my first pride being anything more than an ally, and oh boy, does it feel different on the other side. I mean, kinda. Anyways, I will be at at least one pride event this month, so if you've done a lot of stalking, you'll probably see me there. Also remember to download the podcast, like it, leave a review, whatever else is, is you can do on your platform of choice, and send in episode ideas for episode 20. Uh, that's going to be our review episode looking back on roughly an entire fucking year of content. Time passes by so fast, doesn't it? But, on to the show. Alright, so this episode we're talking all about love triangles. A trope that happens both in fiction and in real life. And much like fighting, making world-shattering discoveries about the nature of your culture and government, and realizing that actually the bad guy this whole time has been the person who looks conspicuously evil, this is something that happens just about 500 times more often in fiction than in reality. And with the exception of that first example, things that have happened in my life. And no, there is no book based on my life coming. But, what are love triangles? Well, 
put simply, a relationship in which a group of people, usually three, are in some sort of highly and often unnecessarily complicated romantic relationship thing. I say thing because there are 13 fucking types of this trope when it's just three people, and also because it's not necessarily a romantic relationship to everyone involved. Now, while we'll get into the specifics in a moment, there's a lot in love triangles, especially depending on the perspective where someone involved isn't even aware they're in one. Like, someone could be trying to choose between two people and neither of them are aware. Or someone involved in fighting for someone's affection is entirely unaware the other person is fighting them. Or the person that is their goal is entirely unaware. Or two of the three think they're all just really good friends, and the third one's kind of an asshole. I really, at the core, all you need for a love triangle is that someone in the group thinks that they're in one. And also, as something we're going to see in this episode, this trope is both ultra-heteronormative as well as being ultra-monogamous. Because these things usually don't end up being triangles. Normally, they're V's. But, again, that's just the most boring option. So, let's go through these together. Now, the super boring one, or as I call it, the classic, is A, who we'll call Ashley, loves B, Benson, and C, Charlie, but can't pick between them. Usually, Ashley is our strong, tough female protagonist that, for whatever reason, has decided that no... She must have one of these two penises inside of her and will dedicate serious time and resources to deciding that while trying to save the world. If you can't tell, I really dislike this one. It's, again, boring, but also uh, really flattening on Ashley's character. Next is the BLT, because it's different, but it's still kind of boring because it's a one-trick pony. You know, just like a bacon lettuce tomato. Also, you got mad at that, uh, come at me, we can discuss sandwich politics any day. Uh, in this one, Ashley loves Benson, but Benson loves Charlie, and Charlie loves Ashley. And this is the closest to how it usually goes in real life, but in stories, because it can't ever just be, ah, fuck, well, I guess we're all in a pickle, I'm gonna give up because this is too hard, and instead we have to make it the whole thing. Third is the love war which is also a very common one, especially in male wish-fulfillment or self-pity books when they lose. Basically, Benson and Charlie are both in love with Ashley and want Senpai to notice them. But Ashley, being the cool, badass, emotionally distant female side character that always somehow manages to slip into these stories and further proves that all men deep down want to be bench-pressed in the sexual way, is too focused on being the fucking hero of the story to notice meaning that Benson and Charlie take out all of their aggression and beta male syndrome on each other because they don't understand why Ashley doesn't like them back. Not really realizing that what they're doing is the exact reason why she doesn't like them. The fourth is homewrecker syndrome. In this one, Ashley wants to fuck Benson, but Benson and Charlie are in a relationship together. And again, depending on who the hero is supposed to be, this will change it immensely. If Ashley is the hero, it'll look like unfair and unrequited love and the chance being stolen from her. If Benson is, it'll either look like, oh, 
fuck, I think I want to fuck Ashley. Or, ah, fuck, Charlie will think I'm trying to fuck Ashley. Which can either be unrequired love or straight-up drama or a horror movie, depending on who Charlie is. Or, if Charlie is the hero, Ashley is a harlotous villain trying to steal their man. Now, this also happens in the real world quite a bit. I mean, we've all been in high school. And, unlike in fiction, very rarely are people going to take your side if you're the one doing the home wrecking. Fifth is Enabler and the Enabled. In this, Ashley is in love with Benson, who is in love with Charlie, and Charlie couldn't be fucked to care. And, unlike the Love War, in this one, both parties are working together in something that is usually portrayed as an almost tragic buddy relationship, where one half of the friendship really wants the other half to rearrange their organs with their genitals. And the reason I'm calling this Enabler and the Enabled is because usually this relationship is set up as Ashley deciding that if Benson won't love them, they'll put all that energy into trying to make them happy by setting them up with Charlie. Someone who does not want a relationship and doesn't want to talk to these weirdos. Alright, sixth is accidental polyamory. In this, Ashley is in love with both Benson and Charlie, but Benson and Charlie are in a relationship. And this is named that way to remind everyone that, hey, polyamory is a thing you can do. Because for this to be a love triangle, polyamory has to not be an option, or Benson and or Charlie have to not be okay with this. And which one of those is the one that's really fucking sketchy? So the only way to make this version work is if one or both aren't interested in polyamory. Otherwise, this starts getting real weird and creepy. And if they're both uninterested, then this becomes a terrifying story of an unhinged person trying to break up a relationship so they can have sex with both people. Scary. The seventh is Cake and Eat It Too. Ashley is in a relationship with both Benson and Charlie, but Benson and Charlie aren't in a relationship. So, Ashley, the short-sighted little idiot she is, is in either two secret relationships or one, which in real life doesn't work out very well and very rarely works for long in fiction. And I'm laughing because I am picturing the exact situation in my mind. Ooh. Okay, eighth is Polyamorous Classic, brought to you by Coca-Cola. Polyamorous Classic is that all three of these people are in love with each other. And this is the dumbest one, because this implies everyone is monogamous, but this doesn't have to be the case. And your audience, assuming they at the very least understand what polyamory is, will see all this fucking angst as three people beat around the bush of a threesome and crawl into the sword to ask, what the fuck are you doing? Maybe just kiss? Which, you know, kind of makes the entire conflict useless. Ninth is Accidental Unicorn. Named for a bisexual woman interested in swinging with your middle-of-the-road ass and your basic bitch wife. Which means that's very rare. In this, Benson and Charlie are in a relationship and both are in love with Ashley. So they're essentially both trying to fuck Ashley, maybe at the same time, maybe not. 
and again, this can be played in a lot of different ways, but the easiest are horror, where it is a terrifying chase down of Ashley, or comedy, where it's error after error after error trying to get Ashley into their bedroom. Tenth is cheater syndrome. This is when Ashley, like the sneaky harlot that we know she is, is in a relationship with Benson, but is also in love with Charlie. Usually this is under Benson's nose, or something that Benson is aware of and uncomfortable with. And this means that this is almost always a drama move, rather than being like a comedic silly side story, because most people understandably are terrified of getting cheated on. Eleventh is polyamadultery, which is quite atrocious. It's a mouthful, you know, like how everyone involved wants it. Wink, wink. Mouthfucking, I'm talking about mouthfucking. But anyways, and this one actually is in a relationship with both Benson and Charlie, with or without their knowledge. Usually without for that, you know, tasty, tasty drama. But added on to that, Benson and Charlie are also in love, and usually in a relationship of some kind. But, you know, you see what I mean? It's like, polyamorous adultery where everyone's cheating on everyone else with everyone else. Alright, twelfth is the Greek tragedy, named because holy shit, this is the exact love triangle that causes a tragedy to happen and is super popular in narratives where you want your audience to fucking know that everyone's about to get their shit pushed in. In this one, Ashley and Charlie are in love and are usually in a relationship. But also, Ashley is in love with Benson, but Benson is in love with Charlie. So, if you have a trio of selfish assholes, Ashley's going to try to be fucking Benson, and Benson is going to try to fuck Charlie, and Charlie's going to be trying to stop Ashley, and also Ashley's going to try to stop Benson. And depending on your story, this can either become a huge misunderstanding, or just a straight-up bunch of murder. Or if your group is a trio of really good people, this is gonna be something everyone involved angst about your entire story until you finally decide to old yeller it behind the shed. Okay, and the last is just hung already. Because this shit is getting too complicated, and this is probably what your audience wants anyways. A steamy three-way between characters that love each other. In this, Ashley loves Benson, but also loves Charlie. But, Benson is also in love with Charlie. Like I said, this can all be cleared up pretty easily if they all stand face-to-face with each other and start tonguing. I will say that personally, this is the one I am most annoyed by. And not only because I'm one of those anti-heteronormative queers, but also because out of all the love triangles, this is the one that feels the most like bait. Like you wanted to write a love triangle, but didn't want to be like those other girls and be all alt and interesting. Which ironically does not make you all too interesting. Uh, but yeah, I mean, those are the 13 types of love triangle, and that's also what a love triangle is. I mean, at least for the you know, triangle-shaped ones. You can run through every other kind of possible combination of people wanting to get their nasty, nasty genitals and mouths and ugh, feelings all over each other on your own time. I'm not going to go over the love dodecahedron for you. But, but, well, you know what this is about now. Let's talk about the history real quick.
All right, and we begin in prehistory. Don't worry, we're not going to get too wet and wild here, but this is important to discuss the origins of the trope. See, love triangles, long before they were a thing of fiction, were a thing in real life. You know, back when people used to actually talk to each other instead of the AI girlfriend living in their Jerkinator 500 connected directly to their Oculus Rift. Now, back here in ancient history, we did a lot more stuff that was in accordance with nature and also didn't make up nearly the level of moralizing we have today. Polyamory was, assumedly by archaeologists, uh, fairly common in most of these early cultures and tribal groups. And love and human connection was also just as messy as they are today. In that way, we haven't really changed meaning there are a lot of chances for things to go sideways and so this trope started off as literally just a thing that would happen and the earliest human creators were like ah i know how to relate the story to people tell them about these three people that want to fuck each other in one of 13 ways i'm probably not that explicitly but still and once civilization got started stories surrounding love triangles became commonplace so much so that ancient stories about romance is just filled with them. Like the ancient Greeks, the grandparents of being exceptionally culturally horny, having like half of their surviving tragedies include some kind of love triangle, as well as their myths. You know, like the story of Ariadne, Theseus, and Dionysus. Most versions of the story, Theseus and Ariadne, fall in love, and then Theseus, the absolute bastard that he is in just about all the Minotaur tales, uh, falls out of love and then just straight up just abandons her on an island. But unbeknownst to both of them, Dionysus, the god of wine, addiction, partying till you drop, and fucking murdering people because you're out of your mind of magic mushrooms and cocaine, has been pining for her, which is a scary sentence. And seeing his chance, he appears to her on the island she's on, and in better versions of the story, she uses him as a rebound, and then they fall in love and ascend as a goddess. Other mythical examples include Ares, Aphrodite, and Hephaestus, where Ares and Aphrodite are in love with each other because they're both fucking assholes and deserve each other. Yeah, that's right. Fuck off, Aphrodite. Hashtag Lilith all the way. But Aphrodite is married to Hephaestus, who absolutely adores his wife and honestly deserves better well until he finds out about the affair and then decides to dedicate himself to causing them as much misery and physical agony as he possibly can instead of finding a woman that wants a big buff hard-working but also pretty fucking ugly god as a husband or the story of apollo zephyrus and hyacinthus where Apollo and his lover Hyacinthus are playing discus, and Zephyrus, one of the wind gods, is jealous and wants to bang Apollo, or the other way around. Uh, so he takes the discus and fucking yeets it directly into Hyacinthus's head and kills him. Uh, also, this would include Hera, Zeus, and a rotating cast of women that are usually unwilling, unsuspecting, and also... Really, any woman that's just, like, has a pulse. But also, in this era, there are love triangles developing with other, less, uh, let's say, horny cultures. 
I like the Sumerian Epic of Gilgamesh, which, while it doesn't necessarily have an explicit love triangle, there's an implied one between Gilgamesh uh, and Kidnu, uh, his super buff and hairy wild man best friend, and his wife, where Gilgamesh seems to want to fuck both of them. And he even talked about a dream he had of caressing and Kidnu like a woman. Which, hey, sounds sweet, but remember, this is a man that has been described in the book as living and looking like a fucking werewolf that didn't shower and also stunk. So, you know, if you're into hairy men with wild animal eyes whose beard crunches and crinkles when you run your lips through it, that's the man for you. But also one of the less horny cultures with a love triangle is Jewish culture, with the story of Jacob, Leah, Lee, and Rachel. In this story, Jacob works for Rachel's hand in marriage for her father Laban. Of course, he didn't really read the fine print, and Laban handed over Leah instead. Leah, Lee, Lou, Incensed, Rachel and Jacob say, fuck off, Dad, and get married anyways, and Jacob, being the kind of good sport about it, says, well, I mean, Lay's my wife, too, and treated them both well, you know, with an asterisk, because it was, you know, the ancient days, so, eh, treating your wife well in those times is kind of relative. Um, but this trend continued on for millennia, it's from this ancient era of, well, this is some shit that just happens sometimes, all the way up to the medieval era when love triangles shift in tone. See, rather than being something seen as tragic on all counts, working itself out in the end, being something that symbolizes someone's loyalties, and or is just some assholes being assholes, then the medieval era is turned into something representing moral degradation and the fall of an era. For example, like the story of Tristan and Uselt, where Tristan goes to rescue the princess Uselt for his uncle Mark to marry at some point in the journey, these two start fucking, or fall in love, depending on the version of the story you're talking about. And by the end of the story, Mark's love for his adoptive son and his wife, Isolt, Isolt's romantic love for both of them, and Tristan's respect for Mark and love for Isolt basically leads directly to the downfall of Cornwall. While in Arthurian legend, the affair between Lancelot and Guinevere not only gives Arthur ultra-depression that eventually opens him up to getting fucking murked, but also turns Lancelot against him during the 11th hour when he really needed him. Oh, and also Guinevere was there while that happened. But the name Love Triangle, like about half of the English language, only really emerges because Shakespeare got his silly little fingies all over it. He is essentially the one that popularized this and made it into enough of a trope for it to be its own distinct thing from a general romance, and be turned into the drama sponge that is today. Most famously, with plays like Twelfth Night, Romeo and Juliet, a little bit in A Midsummer's Night Dream, and personally my favorite of his plays, Much Ado About Nothing. It is a hilarious play. Sorry, my English lit nerd is coming out. Um, and this is also where the trope starts to shift again. Rather than being all about, oh wow, look at these shit heels ruining God's perfect plan with their sinful, sinful thoughts he let them have, and is now turning into, huh, 
isn't this a weird little conundrum to solve? Which is followed into the 1800s with the success of writers like Jane Austen and the Bronte sisters. Here, the love triangle becomes exceptionally popular as Victorian drama and romance takes off in popularity in books like Wuthering Heights, Pride and Prejudice, and Jane Eyre. And yes, I did just list two Bronte books and one Austen book, because I think Jane Austen is boring. Sorry, folks that love her books, the Brontes did it better. Withering Heights and Jane Eyre are fucking engaging, and by the end of the Tenant Wildfell Hall audiobook, I was screaming in my car for Gilbert and Helen to kiss, and I was glad Huntington was dying. Anyways, I will put away my English lit nerd. Uh, but these creators made love triangles very well known and also extremely popular, even more than Shakespeare. And this kind of remains as the common conflict in most, if not all, romance stories. But before we leave the timeline, I know it's a pretty quick one, let's bring up three notable examples of love triangles. And these are all important for different reasons. First, in 1936, is the book, and 1939, with the movie, is Gone with the Wind, which follows the love triangle between Scarlett O'Hara, Ashley Wilkes, and Melanie Hamilton. Also, two of those are men. Uh, and this was an incredibly popular book and movie for a few reasons. First, notice when it came out. See, the U.S. was just out of World War I, the Great Depression, I was already getting close to getting dragged into World War II, so we wanted to escape to see something that was very Hollywood and comfortable, and Gone with the Wind provided that, and also provided a pretty engaging love story. Uh, this is going to be kind of like the golden era of, uh, this is going to represent like the golden era of love triangles. The second was in 2005 with the release of Stephanie Meyer's Twilight. Now, why are we skipping to this one? Well, because it represents the second part of the character arc of love triangles, where things get real fucking bad. This incredibly popular love triangle between Bella, Jacob, and Edward is often derided for a few reasons. And firstly, it entirely removes the agency of the main character, Bella, by having two very attractive and also very problematic for different reasons. Uh, young men fighting over her. Secondly, it overshadows the story, which, you know, hey, there's motherfucking vampires trying to murder you, Bella, and also, I, I think, take over the world? I might be confusing that with Buffy, but I think they're trying to take over the world. So, so then why do you give such a fuck about a dude that you met two minutes ago and your best friend from high school both trying to lay pipe, and why are you entering into a multi-year depressive episode over it. Alright, and the final one is the last part of the character arc where it modernizes and things start looking up. And there's still some problems, but things are looking up. That being The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins in 2008, which contains the love triangle between Katniss, Peeta, and Gale. And what do I mean improving? Well, because this love triangle is highly symbolic of Katniss's character, the people in the story recognize this as a love triangle because up to a point, the whole thing is televised, and also Katniss has actual fucking choices. 
not that I'm going to pretend that's perfect, but you know, also I'm basically reading uh, four different summaries and then boiling them down and mixing them together into a stew because I I didn't read those books. Sorry. Uh, all right, on to the current status. Okay, so with the history covered, where are we at with love triangles? Well, I mean, kind of in a flex period. Because with the growing acceptance of the LGBTQIA plus community, increasing focus on feminism and having actual fucking characters in your story, and people straight up getting tired of the same old tropes over and over again, this trope has been changing. But at the same time, when for a long time this trope has been heteronormative drama bait used to borrow more tension, often at the expense of characters, it's pretty hard to use it differently. So, I mean, having a sexist or heteronormative love triangle is still very common. And here's the deal, unlike other sexist things, this trope usually ends up hurting everyone in the process. And what do I mean? While a love triangle where two men, say friends, are pursuing the same woman, this trope will usually flatten all three of their characters. Turn the woman into the damsel in distress and the men into feral fucking animals trying to do everything short of kill each other for her and absolutely never talking about this clear conflict that they have in their relationship. You know, like friends do. But also, weirdly, compared to the community around other tropes, this one doesn't seem to be nearly as resistant to the change happening. Why? Well, because think about the changes. The trope is becoming more complex. You can't just have the answer be, well, how about everyone fuck? Because nowadays, that's actually potentially an answer. So to use the trope for more than five narrative seconds, you need to eliminate that as a possibility. Also, because of the shift towards having actual characters involved in this, the characters become deeper and more complex, with more going on and more invested into the love triangle. And what is it that people who like love triangles want? A complex, romantic entanglement between characters that they give a fuck about. Which is pretty easy to do when these people seem real, and also the answer can't be everyone's happy, even if it's just headcanon, because that's actually interesting. I mean, also, it's because most of these horny little freaks have their own groups of love triangles they like, and all the other ones can go get bent, which, you know, I gotta say, I respect that. Now, also, we have to ask why this trope has the staying power it does. Well, because, dear listener, inside of your head lives a gross little perverted conflict monkey that enjoys watching two things. People fucking, and people being involved in some kind of conflict. Alright, not all of us, but enough humans swear when we see it, our horny little brains become almost immediately interested. I mean, think. Twilight's entire love triangle at its core is two teenagers with weird powers trying to bang a third teenager without weird powers that can't stop angsting for long enough to make a decision between the two. But you have an opinion on it. A strong opinion. A strong, heated opinion. And unlike a lot of other tropes, 
This is something that you can see happen in the real world. And especially when you're in some kind of schooling. But this makes the entire story feel much more realistic than if it didn't have it. Speaking of which, let's talk about why this matters and some of the problems involved in it. Ultimately, how you use this trope really matters, not because you'll necessarily do, like, an accidental racism or hate crime unless you really fuck it up and refuse to think with your brain about it, but it's more important because this trope has some, you know, sneaky problems you need to address if you're going to actually pull it off and not do something that can really alienate a lot of people or ruin your story entirely. It's also not a trope I'm going to say not to use. Because it's a fucking great tension builder. And you can use it for other things that feel more artistic and less like a marketing ploy. Because a love triangle can also serve to represent changing personality, life choices, picking a side in conflict, facing maturity, and can even be a source of comedy or, or used to demonstrate frivolity in the face of danger as a confidence move, immaturity, or just as a trauma response. All of which is very, very cool in your story, and this trope makes those hard subjects a lot easier. So, those sneaky problems. Firstly, this is hard as shit to pull off. I mean, think, in the most stripped-down, basic version of this trope, you need to juggle three whole different characters, and they're probably very complex romantic feelings. But if you don't want your story to be flat, you also need to examine the non-romantic parts of their relationship with each other and their platonic relationships with other people. And in some cases as well, depending on your story, their sexual and emotional relationships. And on top of that, please remember that the Dark Lord is coming back to Earth, and you need to tell the main motherfucking story too, please. All of which turns us into a monumental task and something that, unless the love triangle is the main focus, might be hard to maintain in a way that's both interesting and not disruptive to the story. Secondly, they lack diversity and, again, are usually pretty sexist. I think, just on the surface, that heteronormity rears its ugly head again. The trope usually assumes three straight people, or two straights and a token gay, fighting for each other's affection, often flattening their characters in the process. And, you know, something I've heard from asexual people pretty often in regards to this trope is that the entire thing is fucking annoying. Because here they see a thing laced with sexual tension, something they don't care about, and in some cases grossed out by, being forced in their face and the author asking, hey, isn't this thing neat? It's especially bad when they're the kind of aces also aromantic to a certain extent, because... Then, they're seeing these people act like total idiots fawning over each other while they, as the audience, feel like the only adult in the room. But even for people with sexual and or romantic attraction, this lack of diversity can still be a problem. Because the queers and smarties will think, wow, this would be a lot easier if one of these people was just bisexual. And then they'll think, well wait, is the author dumb? Why didn't they make one of them bi? It would be so much more interesting, and also get resolved a lot easier. Or, even scarier, 
what's the author saying about being bisexual? Do they think it's wrong? And on the sexism side of things, a woman in the equation usually ends up getting treated like a skank or a trophy, with the audience either meant to want to bang her or hate her implicitly. Other times, when she's the protagonist, the indecision and obsession over the other members of the triangle can often get to the point where the audience feels like her character is 90% picking between one of two men, which sometimes that's what the author is doing, intentionally. And when it's a man that's the prize, or is the one connecting the characters, he's usually treated like a player, and the women who are involved in the triangle aren't usually given enough of a character to decide, well, fuck it, he's not going to pick me and I'm tired of waiting, and dump his ass, and also then go and do something important to the story. Third, uh, most of us writers cannot write a character to save our fucking lives. So this ends up getting used really, really poorly as three stick figures just kind of randomly jamming lines together of their weird fucking bodies. And the author is staring at you waiting for praise. And most of the characters involved, even when they're well done normally, become one dimensional to serve the convenience of the love triangle. And if someone gets introduced solely for it, then it's very clear that's meant only for your protagonist to be forced to make a choice, and usually it's going to be the well-established character. And finally, you will never make your audience or yourself happy no matter what you do. Some amount of your audience will hate however you resolve this plot point, and some amount very well might hate how you choose to introduce this as well. Because if you introduce this as the protagonist breaking up a relationship or wanting to or actively cheating, the audience might begin to spice them as a cheater or homewrecker. And very much like kicking a dog, this is usually unforgivable in fiction. But also, how you end it will make people angry. Someone dies? Cop out. Falls apart? Cop out. Picks option A? Bullshit. Option B is better. Picks option B, bullshit. Option A is better. So if you want to keep everyone happy, don't add a love triangle. Because the issue is eventually you have to end it. And someone will be mad about it. Alright, let's go over to the applications. Alright, so this week instead of beginning with someone else's opinions like we normally do, let me uh, flex my degree having ass muscles by giving you my own tip. Tips. That wasn't a Freudian slip. Okay, so first, I don't suggest trying to intentionally write a love triangle. Rather, make an interesting story, and if you happen to write a love triangle, then just go with it as it naturally would go for the characters you have. For example, if you realize, oh shit, having Naomi, who's really into Hiro, compete directly with Sakura, that doesn't super like Hiro, but does enjoy a good short king, now it's a love triangle. Then don't try to double down on it. Because a forced love triangle is really transparent, 
and it coming about naturally and ending naturally is more likely to stop people from getting too up in arms about the outcome because it'll look less like the hand of the author getting involved and more like the characters doing something. Which is, I know, it's weird to wrap your head around, but still. Second, don't make your characters stupid in the name of keeping the love triangle around. Like, for example, if Hiro is really in love with Naomi and Naomi is really in love with him, but soccer just like short dudes and think they'd be pretty fucking cool to use heroes as footstool that's not a sustainable love triangle and the answer is very obvious but if you make your characters dumber and flatter than they normally are god is going to be pissed like if naomi and hero communicate very openly and naomi is not the jealous type and sakura is really lean back and chill it wouldn't make sense for naomi and hero to stop communicating Sakura to get aggressive as fuck, and for Naomi to suddenly get extremely jealous and possessive. And finally, if a love triangle needs to be resolved, just don't cop out. Don't kill a character off or introduce someone with the sole purpose of being another love interest. Force someone to make a hard choice. Because if you're going to go with this trope, I'm going to make you smoke the whole pack. There's a reason to introduce a love triangle into the story. There's a reason to resolve it exactly as painfully as it deserves. I mean, also, I'm a big fan of weird choices. Like, say that while hitting on Hiro, Sakura realizes that actually, she's into Naomi. And Hiro is okay with that, because he's seeing the threesome tunnel open up. And now you've changed the love triangle dynamic into something that could actually resolve in a way everyone likes. I mean, especially Hero. Or if Hero decides, you know what, fuck you both. Stop fighting for me, I'm done with both of you. Then that shows a lot about his character and also introduces rippling conflict throughout the rest of the story. Okay, and now we're going to look over tips by the writer, editor, and publisher, Savannah Gilbo, on how to write good love triangles. First, Fully develop all of the characters in your love triangle. It's a lot more interesting if everyone involved seems like an actual person as a character outside of the relationship. You know, like a personality and uh, goals and relevance to the story. You know, and also has friends and like other shit they do besides uh, trying to steal someone's man. And, you know, all that stuff. Because this makes them not only more interesting as a person, but also let your audience root for someone for more than just, oh, I mean, that's the obvious answer, because they're like an actual person. Second, make sure both suitors are both viable and legitimate choices for the protagonist. They should have stakes in both relationships, and neither one should seem like the objectively wrong choice. Because by doing that, your love triangle becomes exceptionally infuriating or boring because everyone knows exactly when it, where it's going. Think, if one person is a childhood best friend that supports and loves them and wants what's best and is deeply in love, and the other option is a cold, heartless bastard that verbally abuses the protagonist at every turn, as also literally the fucking villain unrelated entirely to the love triangle, and your audience is going to get slowly more and more pissed or disinterested the longer you go back and forth on this choice. Speaking of which, don't drag out the decision. If your show's eight seasons long and the love triangle takes up six seasons of them, your audience is going to get tired of it. You know, very much like giving head, if it takes too long to finish, your skills are going to come into question. 
or alternatively, they're really trying to milk it. And, you know, unlike Giving Head, that isn't very exciting or hot. Remember, it's better to leave your audience wanting more than wishing you hadn't even tried. Which is also kind of like Head. Anyways, fourth is to make your protagonist make an active decision. Are they the object of desire? Force them to do something and don't cop out. You know, like what I told you earlier. But, unlike what I said earlier, it really is on your protagonist on this one. Because it says a lot more than someone else choosing for them. If you advertise your protagonist being really kind, then when they're romantically competing with their best friend, they end the triangle with them bowing out. Is your protagonist a self-sufficient bad bitch that don't need no man? Then let her be a badass and tell the suitors to fuck off. Fifth, related to the last one, make sure to show the characterization of your character through their romantic choices. If they're picking a suitor and they are a homebody that wants stability in their life more than anything else, they should be attracted to the one that's most like that. And yes, I know their real life doesn't work like this. Oftentimes, opposites attract, but they are a clear opposite. Don't even try. Because... When it comes to fiction, for whatever reason, we hate it when things aren't obvious or explained to us. But this isn't just something to do to hold your audience's hand. It's telling us about your character without you having to exposit it. Which will not only give you serious brownie points and an over-the-pants kiss on the pecker from writers, but also saves you some work. Sixth, you don't need to start both relationships at once. Instead, you can introduce them at different times under different circumstances. You know, kind of like the example we've been building, Hiro and Naomi are long-term childhood friends, and Sakura is a recent person in their lives. This is not only very realistic and reasonable to have happen, but it's also a great way to generate tension that doesn't feel cheap. And if your audience has been following Hiro and Naomi for a while, and then you introduce Sakura into the mix, that's free investment you didn't even have to earn like a goddamn American. Seventh, establish some stakes. Yeah, sure, it's interesting if the reason is just lust or love, but that's only if you're one of those filthy fucking breeders or, or aren't otherwise completely checked out of two made-up people trying to smooch or suck each other off. And if that's the case, how fucking dare you? So instead of it just being love or lust, make the stakes higher. You know, while it could go grandiose, like a massive political drama with a web of characters that would make George R. R. Martin cry, uh, let's go with a different and more grounded storyline. Naomi and Hiro are part of the struggling drama club, and there's one last play. If they fuck it up, the entire club is gone. Sakura just joined and got the part of the leading lady, and Hiro is the love interest. Now, that is some drama. It doesn't even matter if you're into the romantic part. If you're a drama nerd, then you are in on that premise. See, this is basically the tip of have a story, stupid, or Haas, for short. Big Haas. Next is to explore conflicts connected to or within the love triangle. And while it's not a triangle necessarily, Tomochan as a girl is actually a really good example. Yeah, 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 call me that kind of weeb, but it's a good fucking show, and I will not have you speak ill of it in this domicile. 
Also, it might be a triangle if you count Tomo's clearly lesbian best friend. But anyways, the anime really focuses a lot on how the whole love thing affects everyone around them. They go into detail on how it affects Tomo and Junichiro, but also how it affects their friends and classmates, because these two somehow keep drawing people into this. But if the story doesn't revolve around the love triangle, also ask how the love triangle affects the story. Ground it, and make it affect the story so your audience doesn't think you're just wasting time or trying to bait them. Ninth, know where it fits into the story. Even if the love triangle is central to the entire story, remember that the rest of the world still has shit going on. Have other stuff happening too, because otherwise it's going to seem like literally nothing has or ever will happen in your world, besides waiting to see if these two teenagers have an awkward kiss. But also, having other things happen alongside the triangle gives context to the length of time it's been a thing. And in situations where the love triangle isn't the focus, it not only gives triangulophobic audience members a break from screaming, but it can also serve as an inspiration for the character or throw a wrench in how it's going. You know, like, I gotta survive this fight so I can be forced to choose which one of my friends that I want to that I want to kiss that I'm going to kiss. And, you know, maybe during the fight they realize, like, oh, wow, I... I don't care at all. Okay, and finally, have the love triangle actually exist for a reason. This is the same as the point earlier. Don't bait your audience into caring, and also, don't just throw one out there because your romance story needs some more conflict. If you think the only conflict in a romance is romantic rivals, oh boy, did me fucking your dad really affect you negatively. Also, if the point is the love triangle, why the fuck are you being lazy about it and just haphazardly shoving it where it doesn't fit? That's what she said. But also, make sure that when you include a love triangle, that there's even a point in the first place and that starts and ends for a reason instead of, well, I guess we're fighting now. Alright, and that's the tips for you. Hopefully your brain can hold all that juicy knowledge while you gather around my soapbox. So, how do I feel about this trope? Well, for once, I'm a fan. Uh, researching this episode has made me want to write a love triangle, and, you know, my see in fiction, and it's well done, it has me instantly hooked. And for fuck's sake, I love Tomo-chan as a girl. What did you expect from me? And I love them for a few reasons. I won because I can relate. I've been on both ends. And usually me as the suitor is super fucking cringy and sad, but when it's a well-written story, I understand where the characters are coming from. Also because it's honestly usually pretty sweet when I see it. Rarely do I see love triangles that leave me hopelessly sad. Except for Darling in the Bronx. That's one of those shows I watched because I heard... Hey, if you like Evangelion, you'll like this one. Yeah, don't worry. I already brutally killed them. Uh, but most love triangles I've ever seen are largely cute, and then when it's decision time, the the author either cops out or gives a hard but necessary choice to one of the characters, and it has kind of a bittersweet ending. But I also really fucking hate this trope. Why? Because it's very, very 
very, very, very rarely done right. And all the shitty love triangles ruin this trophy reputation. I am trusty. Saying I'm a fan of love triangles made by balls to slurp into my body is a defense mechanism against the kick in the sack I expected to receive for that opinion. And the shit ones get popular because everyone shares them around to share the misery. You know, my friends have tried to do that to me, and I've done that to them so many times it's hard to count. And, you know, not that that incentivizes people to write intentionally shitty stories, more than just they don't know how to write anything else because that's all they see, because everyone likes to share the misery porn. Alright, finally, if you're in a love triangle in real life, I, I have some advice for you. Get good, scrub lord. <laughs> Just get out of it. It's not going to end well. Uh, but that's episode 12 done. Hopefully you learned how to actually use this trope. If you want to. It's not like you have to make a choice. Yet. But anyways, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast feed. Like it. Leave a review. Whatever else it is you can do on your platform of choice. Send me an email at waytatpods at gmail.com. That's W-A-Y-T-A-T-P-O-D-S at gmail.com. With questions, concerns, opinions, compliments, insults. Um, actually, your favorite love triangle, your solution to classic ones, and the gayer the better, and anything else you want to tell me. Also, follow me on Twitter at waytat underscore pods. Remember to check out my other podcast, Waytat, where I talk about things that actually happen, and yeah, I think that's all you need to know. Uh, alright, have a good night, have fun, keep writing, and remember... The love dodecahedron is hungry. This has been Why Are You Talking About This Nerd, and I've been your host, William. Good night.